Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, I really don't think I have anything more, let me just say, better to say than that last hymn. That was just astounding, especially the part about him being scorned and despised by those he came to save. And that's really the theme behind Psalm 22, if you'd like to turn to that, please. Behind Psalm 22, that's the message behind the psalm here, Psalm 22, verse 14, for let's pray. Father, we come to you now to this section where you have already prepared our hearts with this song, where you said that your son was despised and scorned by those he came to save. And that's what we're, Lord, looking at tonight. So help us, Lord. Help us to to enter into this. Lord, when we're here in Psalm 22, lead us to Calvary. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them, and cast lots for my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me. From the horns of the unicorns I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, Glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. I was thinking about this psalm and crucifixes. And you know, we're so used to looking at crucifixes that portray the Lord on the cross where his body was uh, on the crucifixes that you see his body is relatively intact, is a form of a man, his face can be seen as a man. But that's not the description in Psalm 22 here because the description in verse 6 is when he says, I am a worm and no man. He says that, and a reproach of men and despise of the people. The details of his appearance appear in Isaiah 52, just before the crucifixion chapter in Isaiah 53. But in Isaiah 52, verse 14, it describes the people who saw him, and it says, as many as were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. 
And so we have, as we come to this Psalm 22, a chapter here that's just full of details, 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 maybe more details than you wanted to know. But there are details here, horrible details, terrible details, far worse than anything is portrayed on a crucifix, because these are the details of what really happened to him. And when we look at this, it leaves us with the question of, what are we supposed to do with all these details? How do we process them? I mean, others around him, when they saw what is being described here in Psalm 22, his suffering, they had a response. And their response was Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah 53.3, it says their response is, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Their response for those who were looking at him was they hid their face. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. They simply turned their face away. They hid their face away. But that's not our response. We're not hiding our faces from him. And by the way, isn't it interesting that in this psalm, it says that those who come to him that are afflicted and oppressed, he doesn't hide his face from them. But when we look at this, it's very disturbing. It's disturbing as we see him emaciated. His bones are all out of joint. He's so disfigured, he says, I'm no longer a man. So in order for us to process all of these horrible details, we need an anchor that we can hold on to that will give us the meaning, give us the purpose. And that's where John the Baptist comes in. John the Baptist comes in and brings us what we need to process these details. Because when John first saw the Lord Jesus in John 1.29, he made a statement, a profound statement in John 1.29 when he said, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, we've been singing a song that's very similar to Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We could change that song. We could change that hymn to be Lamb of God, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It's astounding to think of the Son of God becoming the Lamb of God. Because the Lamb of God was not just perfect, which he was, because that's how he's described in 1 John 3, 5. In him is no sin. He's the Lamb of God. But it's the first part of that verse, 1 John 3, 5. 1 John 3, 5 that talks about the Lamb of God. When it says, ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He was manifested to take away our sins. So that means that he's the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And the Lamb of God had a destiny. The Lamb of God had a purpose. The Lamb of God was not just brought into the family by the Father, said, look, here's the Lamb for the family. And the family says, oh, great, he's going to make a wonderful pet. We're going to love this little lamb here. Everybody knew that the Lamb of God was not just to be admired, but the Lamb of God was to die. That was the destiny. The Lamb of God, I always like to think of that door as a door of a house, and the Lamb of God was to have his blood painted over the top and the sides of that door so that God would pass over in judgment. And so he didn't want to suffer so terribly, and this is important to understand. He didn't want to. In fact, he prayed at a certain point. He prayed, he said, Is there any other way? 
Is there any other way that the sins of the world could be taken away without me suffering? He prayed this prayer in Matthew 26, 38. In Matthew 26, 38, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, and here are the words, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That cup was a cup of suffering. That cup was Psalm 22. And that cup was so horrible that he prayed those words, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And it's so important to focus on the word possible. If there was any other possibility, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the important point to read in what he said, what was said there is that it was not possible for the cup to pass from him. If it was possible, if there was any other way for that for it to be taken away from him, for him not to suffer like this, not to go through Psalm 22, there's no other person in the universe that God the Father would loves more than God the Son. There's no other person in the universe that God the Father would want to shield and protect from all that, that we're reading about here in Psalm 22. And so God the Son said to God the Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, See how everything is wrapped up in that word possible. So when we read Psalm 22, this gives us a new light for how to process. What do we do with all these details, these horrible details? And the way to look at it is to see it was necessary. There was no other way. It's all tied up in that word possible in Matthew 26, 39, possible. So for us, this means that every detail we read about in Psalm 22 We should say it was not possible for our sin to be taken away unless the Lamb of God suffered that detail. He cried in his suffering in verse 1 here, in verse 1, Psalm 22, verse 1. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me and why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And we say about that detail, it was not possible for our sin to be taken away unless the Lamb of God suffered that detail. He says, as we saw here in verse 6, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. And about that detail, we add, it was not possible for our sin to be taken away unless the Lamb of God suffered that detail. And he goes on, he says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. He goes on in verse 15, more details. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. You brought me into the dust of death. More details, details. Verse 16, dogs compassed me. The assembly of the wicked enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And we saw last week, verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots of my vesture. For all those things, we just say, that detail, that detail, that detail. It was not possible for our sin to be taken away unless the Lamb of God suffered those details. And that's the way we should read all these details in Psalm 22 with this overall theme of couldn't have been done any other way. That was not possible for our sin to be taken away unless he suffered all those things. That leads us into the thanksgiving of every day, as it says in 2 Corinthians 9.15. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And what gift might that be? The Lamb of God, that he was made the Lamb of God. Now, he's there on the cross, and he's watching the soldiers below him. He sees they've got swords, and he says in verse 20, 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. So he sees the soldiers. They've got swords. They've got spears, as a matter of fact. He knows that one of those soldiers is going to take one of those spears and pierce it straight through his heart right up under his ribcage there, right into his heart, as it says in John 19.34, John 19.34, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And now he's asking the Father to deliver him from the sword, and he's talking about his soul being delivered from the sword. And now in verse 20, when he says this, deliver my soul from the sword, he says, my darling from the power of the dog. And you ask, and it's a good question, what does he mean by my darling? Well, the Hebrew word is the word yahid, which means only one, S-O-L-E, only one, just one. Now, I wouldn't have used the word darling for yahid if they would have asked me, but no one asked me, so what can I do? But he's asking God to deliver his only one, his only one from the power of the dog, his only soul. It's like saying, my one and only in Yahid. So use the word Yahid. It makes us think about the only one, the only life that we have. You know, it reminds me, I think I've told you this, reminds me of my Ethiopian uh, little friend there. He's a 12-year-old Temeskin, a believer in Ethiopia. He's 12 years old. There's Temeskin. He's over there in Addis Ababa, come from a village. He's got osteosarcoma. He's essentially dying. He's at Mother Teresa Hospital there in, in central Addis, and he's got a Jewish doctor. Dr. Rick Hodes, and you can read about him online, Rick. And Rick is trying to treat him, and one day Rick asks Temeskin, he says, and Temeskin, he's 12 years old, are you afraid to die? He asked him that question, are you afraid to die? And Temeskin's response was phenomenal. He said, no, because everyone is going to die. Sometime. He said, sometime everyone's going to die, and it doesn't matter when you die, it matters what you do before you die. He's a 12-year-old. It's amazing. This is the idea behind what the Lord is saying, deliver my only one from the power of the dog, my only life. So we take this word, my only life, to heart, and we consider this this little poem that was written by the Babe Ruth of Cricket, who was C.T. Studd, who left it all and went to China to reach the Chinese with the gospel. And he wrote this poem, C.T. Studd. He wrote this poem, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one yahid, only one yahid life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so the fact that the Lord uses the word yahid is showing only one. It makes us think of there's one chapter in the Bible where the word yahid comes to such prominence because it's the first time that we have this use of this word yahid. And of all the chapters, it's Genesis 22. It's Genesis 22, which is the chapter of the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. And what God told Abraham in Genesis 22 too, when God said, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son, thy Yahid son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So, God says to Abraham that he's to take his only son, his Yahid son. And then later, after Abraham obeys, it's almost like God can't restrain himself in verse 16, in Genesis twenty-two sixteen, when he says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, Yahid. And when Abraham obeys God, 
God says, because you did this, you didn't withhold your only son. This is the first use of the word yahid, and it emphasizes how Isaac was his only son. And so this now is really bringing, this yahid brings the concept of John 3.16, when it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. If John 3.16 was in Hebrew, it would read, God so loved the world that he gave his yahid his only son, so that we could have everlasting life. So it's this concept in mind that the Lord is saying in verse 20, deliver my yahid, my only soul, from the power of the dog. He's reminding the father of his yahidness. And then he says in verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. He's been praying all along for God to deliver him. He said in verse 20, deliver my soul, But now he prays with a word that he hasn't used before. He says, save me. Now, this is the word that he has used here is yasha, yasha. It's very close to Yeshua, Yeshua. And you know that Yeshua means salvation. And yasha is similar to it, but yasha has this meaning of open wide, open wide. So the idea here is that this person who prays this word, yasha, is in a trap. He's closed in, he's in prison, and he's asking God to open the way up for the deliverance. He's praying for deliverance. You know, that was our state. That was our condition. When That's a state of everyone. When they pray a prayer, when anybody prays a prayer, save me from my sins. This is the concept, because sin entraps. The Lord Jesus said in John 8.34, John 8.34, so here's the verse here, John 8.12, where he said, I am the light of the world, and later on, In verse 34, in the same chapter, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 5.22, Proverbs 5.22, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his own sins. In Romans 6.12, in Romans 6.12, it says, Let not sin reign Hold you in a grip, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. So this word reign is be king over. And in Romans 6.16, Romans 6.16, know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom he obey, whether sin to death. This is what sin does. Sin tempts. And sin says, come over here. Come over here. And unless a person says no, and they yield. You know, no one thinks when they're yielding to temptation that they're yielding to become a prisoner. But the picture is so clear of this when you look at the young man in the book of Proverbs who is seduced by the evil woman. She flatters him. She entices him till finally she conquers him. And what it says in Proverbs 7.21, Proverbs 7.21 is, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him. I mean, that's a picture of what sin does. Causes to yield. Forces. Pretty aggressive. Pretty aggressive language to describe what she's done. But that's the picture that's given to us. Proverbs 6.26. Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. She brings the man to a piece of bread, and she hunts. People think that, well, you know, I can just have a little naughty sin, wash my hands of it, walk away, be done. But sin says, oh, no, <laughs> you broke it, you own it. Sin says, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? You can't walk away. 
When a person tries to walk away from sin, he says, you can't leave. You're now my servant. And people think they could just walk away when they want to, but the trouble is they can't want to. And anybody, any of you remember those Chinese thumb traps? Have you ever seen the Chinese thumb traps, you know? I was raised in L.A., and we used to go down to Chinatown, and we used to buy the Chinese thumb traps. We used to go to Tijuana and buy the cherry bombs, but in Chinatown, we'd buy the Chinese thumb traps. Sin is like that Chinese thumb trap. You know, it feels nice, it's interesting, you put your thumb in it, and then you want to pull it out. Oh, no, <laughs> you're not pulling that out. See, sin starts that way. That's why Ralph Waldo Emerson, when he wrote that, these words are so good. He wrote, sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. And that destiny is what he is referring to as the destiny of hell for eternity. It all starts with just a thought, just a thought. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about thoughts. In Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart all diligence. Why? Because in Proverbs 23.7, Proverbs 23.7, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's where the thoughts are, in the heart. They're in the heart. And that's why the Lord said in Mark 7.21, Mark 7.21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, See, that's where all of our problems come from. They come from what the Lord describes as from within, from within, from our hearts, from the seed of our thoughts. It's the engine that's generating our thoughts. A tool to use to keep this from happening, the evil thoughts, you give your heart to the Lord. You give your heart to the Lord. You give your mind to the Lord. You give your head to the Lord, your eyes to the Lord, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. And then when you think a bad thought, you say to yourself, That shouldn't be thought by God's heart. I gave my heart to God. No, that's out of place. I shouldn't be looking at those things. No, I gave these eyes to God. God doesn't want his eyes to be used like that's a weapon. And that's why it's so important, personal confession of sin. We need to be very sensitive to our thoughts. Think of some sinful thought. Immediately kill it by confessing it. Our human nature is to say, what? I didn't do anything. I didn't do any sin. I've got nothing to confess. But God says, oh, no. In Proverbs 24, 9, Proverbs 24, 9, it says the thought of foolishness is sin. So our sinful thoughts that need to be confessed, which is why our prayer should always constantly be, Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart. Now, God told Israel in Deuteronomy 15, 9, Deuteronomy 15, 9, beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. It's not exactly flattering to say they have wicked hearts, but this is what God said. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.